You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Welcome to Autumn on the Air. Today, I'm joined by Kirsten Lute to discuss best practices in supporting startups and fostering innovation. Kirsten is an exceptional technology transfer professional who has spent nearly two decades immersed in the world of innovation. She is currently a partner at Osage University Partners, where she is responsible for the relationships with more than 100 academic institutions that are partnered with the fund, engaging potential new partner institutions, and enhancing and creating value-add programs for the partnered academic institutions. Kirsten's expertise spans multiple prestigious institutions, including Stanford University and the German Cancer Research Center. Kirsten's dedication to the field goes beyond her daily work as an active member of Autumn. Her remarkable contributions were acknowledged this year when she received the 2023 Autumn Chairs Award. Welcome, Kirsten. I'm so excited to have you here on the air. Thank you so much for having me. Always great to talk with you, Lisa. Oh, definitely. And I'm excited to talk about best practices and startup policies with you today. And we have a lot to talk about. So, Kirsten, I thought I would kick things off by asking you your thoughts on the role of technology transfer professionals in supporting startups and fostering innovation. From your perspective, what do you think about the significance of their contributions? Great question, Lisa. Um, So, First of all, so I started in tech transfer a really, what seems like a really long time ago now, back in 1996. Um, And at that time, at least at at Stanford where I started, you know, our role in being involved uh, or helping along the startups was a a lot more um, subtle at that point. Um, So the role has really evolved and it's been one that is um, something and has made it um, very complex for people being in a tech transfer role because they have so many responsibilities now, a tech transfer professional. And so it's been nice to actually see the evolution now of new ventures, um, people being, uh, you know, with housed within perhaps that, that technology transfer innovation partnerships office uh, at the university. Uh, two of the main roles that I see that tech transfer professionals have in supporting startups uh, is the connections that they can make to help those startups startup founders um, get the advice they need, perhaps, you know, some initial funding, uh, let them, you know, find some people who could help them out either uh, as mentors or maybe some of their first employees. Um, So there's a lot of connections um, that the tech transfer professionals have uh, from their own ecosystem, perhaps geographically around the university, perhaps just outside of that in their local community, perhaps beyond that, especially today with how virtual everything is. you know, making connections uh, to uh, investors and mentors, et cetera, that may be in other states. So there's the connections. And then there's advice because a lot of the tech transfer people have been doing this a long time. Sometimes they've known more startups than the startup founders themselves have known. Uh, They can potentially provide advice, you know, like here's what I've seen other startups do in this particular situation. Um, So considering their own experiences, experiences, bringing that um, information in and that advisory role um, that they have can be really of value to those uh, scientific startup founders as well. 
Well, and speaking of advice, you're a partner at Osage University Partners. So you work very closely with academic institutions. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of strong relationships between venture funds and universities in the startup ecosystem? Yeah, and this is something that you've seen people getting closer and closer to each other um, over the last uh, few decades. Um, Obviously, you know, some of the earliest uh, investments uh, that ventures and investors made were, especially in the life sciences, were in startup companies that uh, arose from technologies from universities such as Genentech uh, and Herb Boyer at UCSF. Um, and those relationships between um, the um, the venture investors and the universities um, are important in part because uh, the venture investors can talk about what it is they'll actually invest in. What is it that they're looking for? What to them makes an investable uh, venture? Is there something that um, uh, the startup could be doing or they, they, they could be doing at the university to make it more appealing as a venture in, uh, uh, investment? You know, is it that, um, you know, the you know, potential end product, you know, isn't as of interest to them? Or is there something that needs to shift on the team side? Or, or what are the next experiments that could be, you know, could be done to make it more of interest uh, for um, venture investment? And so the the relation, the strong relationships are important to make things more successful down the road, uh, both for you know, the opportunities that the venture investors see, but also those opportunities then being spun out of the universities. Yeah, and I think for you, Kirsten, you've been on both sides now. I mean, you've been in a university tech transfer office. You were at Stanford for a number of years, and now you're with Osage University Partners. So you can really speak to, you know, both sides, having, you know, been on both sides. Right. Yes. So I also wanted to ask you, you know, navigating policies and state and federal regulations can be really challenging and somewhat of a hurdle for startups. And having the expertise of tech transfer professionals can really make a difference in helping startups navigate this complexity. So based on your experience, what are some of the common challenges that you see startups typically encountering in this regard? And how do you see tech transfer professionals stepping up to help address some of these challenges? Uh, definitely. And and the tech transfer um, professionals are sometimes the, the first ones, you know, on the line with regards to these policies and regulations and helping them understand. So one of it is setting expectations and um, understanding like this is, you know, what you're going to have to uh, encounter with regards to the policies at the universities um, or uh, other kind of regulations you're going to have to deal with uh, and understanding that that's what the um Things are that they're going to have to deal with it, and just lay that out for them. So set it up, set it right up front, and say, okay, here are the things that um, need to have happen in order for um, you to be associated with this startup that is spinning out of um, your university. And then I think part of that too then is for the tech transfer professional going in and understanding the goals that the startup has. So what are the main goals that the startup wants to um, accomplish in the near term? What can be um, dealt with in the future? And um, from that point, they can then say, okay, so these are the goals, here's how we're going to get there and setting up um, a path for that. And then setting up regular meetings to get those things accomplished uh, rather than perhaps just trading emails back and forth or just saying, hey, here's this piece of information, read it over. Um, sometimes you need to do a little bit more perhaps handholding 
for um, those, uh, especially first time or, or newer founders with regards um, to what those policies and regulations are. And I see that tech transfer professionals in general do this really, really well. Um, and they are very good about um, educating uh, folks. And so I think my uh, commentary here is probably not uh, new to anyone who's listening, um, but just a um, uh, definitely um, pinning the, the point that it is um, so important for these um, startups to have those expectations set and for someone to provide the pathway that they need to go down in order to, uh, you know, get their startup through all of these, you know, what are potential hurdles um, with regards to the policies uh, at the at the university. And I'm curious, Kirsten, given all your experience, what are some of the best startup practices that you've come across that have actually proven to be effective in accelerating the growth and success of early stage companies? And are there any specific ones or approaches that you found particularly impactful in this regard? Yeah, so there's, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I'd love to say that there's a one size fits all solution, but there isn't. And that's because um, each university is in its own ecosystem. You can try to um, look at the um, uh, universities, perhaps that you think are the you know, most likely your peers, et cetera, and learn what it is that, that they're doing and um, things like that. But some of the things that we've found is that, you know, that where, where people say that they have the most hurdles when it comes to um, startups is that they lack a network, they lack, lack mentors, they lack training, um, things, you know, in those areas. And they need to help have, you know, people helping them uh, in each one of those aspects. And so lots of programs the universities have developed, whether it is their um, EIR or MIR programs, uh, their proof of concept funds, things that, uh, you know, is, it, it's, it's often a combination of these things all together that helps move the, the startup on. Those all have been, um, I think, uh, very helpful, but it's not something that's just going to be a quick fix, you know, and it's going to work for uh, some, you know, startups getting off the ground, but it's not going to work for everything. So um, uh, just understand that it is uh, a um, something that is going to be um, hard and, and let, you know, making sure that people understand this is not an easy uh, road to go out down um, and that, you know, it's not always going to succeed either. And sometimes you need to have those um, failures before you get to the point of success. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. Kirsten, I wanted to go back. You mentioned mentors and I want to get your thoughts about the importance of mentors for first time founders and startups. Mentors, I think, are um, one of the most critical pieces for startup companies, um, especially first-time founders. Let's put it that way. Um, so that's one of the things that, you know, for example, you know, we're associated with the Equalize program, uh, which is uh, focused on helping um women uh, innovators at universities. We actually originally were focusing on women faculty this next year, actually we're uh, including postdocs and um, uh, grad students as well. Um, but that was one of the main things that we heard from uh, these women was that it was really important for them to have someone that they could just go to and talk to uh, for advice and understand what it is that they should potentially be doing next. And having that connection um, for a first time founder in particular, sometimes even for a second or a third time founder, uh, having those people that you can go uh, and just 
ask any question to and not be afraid of what it is that you're asking. Um, like, like, and thinking, okay, this could be the dumbest question in the world. It's not the dumbest question. It's a question that you have because you don't even know what it is you don't know. And so having that person that you can go talk to, and it may be actually a cadre of people, like it could just, you know, it could be one person for this aspect of uh, the the business and one person for this aspect, perhaps of the science and da, da, da. It's, it's important to have those people that you can go to and not have that fear of asking questions that maybe you think, oh, well, everyone probably already knows this. So do you have some examples of some value-add programs or initiatives that you've implemented to support academic institutions and startups in your role there at Osage University Partners? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I mentioned the Equalize program that we're associated with. Um, we're one of the co-founders of that program. We founded it um, along with uh, Nicole Mercier at um, Washington University in St. Louis. And now we have uh, just a huge number of volunteers helping us, uh, including uh, you, Lisa. Um, so this was a program that we um, spun out. It's now actually into its own uh, nonprofit entity. Some other um, types of programs that we have. Um, so we did, um, we did, we do a lot of webinar series um, uh, through OUP. Um, we have one right now that is focused on funding and equity for university startups. Um, so we just did our fifth installment of that. Uh, in the past, we did um, a Startups Licensing 101 series that was uh, really walking through a license and the, you know, the why, you know, why are you doing a license? What does it mean? And then the different parts of the license, just so that startup founders could have appreciation for those different parts. Uh, when they were, um, uh, you know, dealing with a, a new startup license, we have um, a partner portal uh, for our partner uh, institutions that is chock full of um, uh, uh, startup uh, tech transfer information. Uh, there's also a part of it that um, is also devoted to uh, researchers and startup resources. So we have a lot of value-added programs that are all about, right, helping the startup community and the hope that there will be um, best practices that people can learn from each other uh, and therefore um, get their startups uh, to a better foundation of getting uh, off the ground getting those people into the startup that could help them with their endeavor, and then, of course, getting the funding uh, as well. Now, I mentioned before that you've had an impressive background. You've worked with prestigious institutions like Stanford and the German Cancer Research Center. So, Kirsten, can you talk a little bit about how your experience in different academic settings have shaped your understanding of startup policies as well as their impact on innovation? So I'm going to answer this question perhaps a little bit um, more broadly. And, and because I worked at two very different places um, uh, prior to, to joining OUP and I worked in tech when I worked in tech transfer, um, is that you really have to understand your um, what it is that is currently in your ecosystem and where the um, holes are. Like, what is it that you particularly uh, need to build or shape um, or whatever? Um, or where perhaps the, um, and, and what are your strengths? So what can you build upon um, that are your strengths? And that can um, help with, you know, potentially getting your uh, particular um, uh, innovations out. So I think that the my experience what my experience has taught me again and going back to what i said before is that one size does not necessarily fit all yes there may be certain policies that you have to do uh because 
you know, as an academic institution, um, you have decided that you are going to um, allow researchers um, so much of their time, right, to be able to work on startup companies, or you're going to, um, uh, you know, allow them um, to be certain, to have certain roles within those startup companies, et cetera. But some of that is going to be shaped by the local environment around you. And some of it is going to be um, shaped with just how you work as an academic cent center. And so understanding what it is that works within your ecosystem is really crucial um, for helping um, those policies and how that's going to help develop um, innovation in your own um, ecosystem. Given that, what advice would you offer to tech transfer professionals who are eager to foster successful startup ecosystems? Well, so I think my advice is, first of all, there's a lot of information out there. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. Um, you know, if you're just, if you're trying to just gather information, um, that, that's, that's a huge task. So, you know, find people who've already put together resources, uh, get that from them. Like I remember, uh, you know, I can't even remember how many years ago it was, you know, the first institution put together their, you know, startup guide, right, for their institution. And everyone's like, that's a great idea. We should all have startup guides. And so, but everyone, at, you know, um, you know, provided attribute to those who came before them and that helped maybe form their own startup guide for their own, you know, own institution. So don't necessarily recreate the wheel. Um, figure out uh, who has similar attributes to your institution uh, and what's been done. And perhaps that will be helpful to you. But, you know, absolutely. Like if you're trying to perhaps change something about your ecosystem, look into those who you think, hey, we'd like to do something more like that. What could we learn from that? But you have to understand what it is, obviously, what your goals are and that you're trying to accomplish and therefore then uh, go, go out and find the information that's uh, applicable to that uh, after you've done that. Um, I mentioned our partner portal before. We do like to try to gather best practices um, at OUP of the different institutions that we work with. So you can find some information uh, there. But, you know, this is one of the reasons that Autumn is so critical as well, is you're going to meet those people who um, who have that kind of information and can help you. And that is one of the things that is most wonderful about Autumn is people are so helpful and they want to um, provide you um, their knowledge and their experience and whatever. So post a message on an e-group or, you know, go into um, all the resources that Autumn has available. You like you are likely not the first one asking a question, um, but you may, um, you know, you but you could be. So go ahead and ask it again. Don't have that fear of asking questions. Um, and hopefully people can provide those wonderful resources that a bunch of them have. Well, and I wanted to ask you now about underrepresented entrepreneurs and startups. How do you believe tech transfer offices and startup policies can play a role in creating a supportive environment for those individuals, such as underrepresented entrepreneurs and startups? Right. Well, so number one is listening. Um, so understand where there are barriers, if if there is an underrepresentation. And so already there are underrepresented populations, right, um, in the innovation ecosystem. But how is their representation as far as participating 
um, in the ecosystem. So understanding that first is probably really important. So, okay, uh, for example, if your um, female faculty population is uh, 40%, uh, you know, are your invention disclosures, you know, 40% from the female faculty? Uh, and then look beyond that. Okay, how many startups are be being created? Like proportionally understand what is going on there. Uh, and then you need to understand what the barriers are. So um, uh, some of us uh, involved in this actually put together a paper uh, a couple of years ago that we can um, at some point perhaps reference or you know put a link in uh, when we post this. But we um, we actually surveyed, um, I think it was around 150 to 160 um, uh, women uh, innovators at universities and asked them about what were your barriers um, to, you know, getting to the next points that you wanted to go in your innovation uh, journey. And so we outlined what the results of that were in that particular paper, but it goes back to some of the things we've already talked about, networks, mentors, funding, and time. So time's a huge one for a lot of people is how do I even fit this into everything else I have to do? Um, and so figuring out ways that actually makes it accessible um, considering the populations um, uh, that you're working in, with is really important. For example, does everything have to be at night? Could it be uh, like a late afternoon? Could it be, you know, on a Monday or a Friday? That might be an easier um, um, thing, uh, time for people considering, uh, you know, what it is that they're doing um, uh, otherwise. Uh, you know, all the responsibilities perhaps someone has associated with their um, positions at the universities. Um, there's a whole host of things. And, and then just creating you know, recognition um, uh, and, and uh, ways that people are encouraged then uh, to be able to take a part in the uh, innovation uh, ecosystem. So there's a lot more advice and in, in, I think in that particular um, uh, paper, so I would encourage people to uh, go read it. Um, but there's, there's a, a, listening uh, and providing access to the training, mentors, network, funding, um, et cetera, is, is critical. Absolutely. And the time issue is one I've heard others talk about the challenges trying to find the right time for, for certain groups to be able to participate either as founders or, you know, whatever it might be. So, Kirsten, I wanted to ask you, are there any emerging factors or changes on the horizon that you believe will shape the way tech transfer professionals and startup navigate policies and regulations? This is an interesting question, and I'm not sure I have a terrific answer um, for it. It is. And and, and here's why is that. Um, and, and maybe it's different. You know, so I've been out of tech. You know, I'm not. Um, you know, working uh, day to day in tech transfer uh, now. So I've been out of it for almost um, eight years. And the the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, as a licensing professional, you know, only a certain portion of your job is actually focused on uh, startups, right? So when I was at Stanford, I think our, the number of, versus all of our licenses every year, like um, startups accounted for something like 15 to 20% of our licenses. Maybe it was 10 to 15. I can't remember exactly. It was around 15%. Um, and so it's, it is just a portion of a licensing professional's job is the startup um, uh, part of aspects of it. But there's, 
it seems to me a, a huge increased focus. There has been a huge increased focus on um, uh, startups, obviously, uh, within the profession, but also um, from outside of the profession as well, right? People see these as um, economy generators, um, as ways that, um, you know, potentially we're going to make more of an impact because of these new products uh, getting off the ground. And sometimes it really is the only path available for certain technologies to make it, you know, to that potential of having an impact. Um, so, for me, that what I have really enjoyed seeing is um, getting people in who have experience with the startup companies and helping them, be it the, the new ventures people, these MIRs or EIRs that we've talked about, uh, hiring uh, people uh, to come in and perhaps do some of the contract work that needs to happen for these um, innovations to, to, to take the next step. Um, so other things that they've been doing a lot um, uh, around helping these startups potentially be more successful as they um, get down the, the road. Um, but I think one of the things that I'd just like to say, you know, is that is recognize the fact that that is just one portion of what the tech transfer office is uh, working on. And there's still a lot that can be done. Obviously, um, a lot of work that is happening in these other areas as well. And so I think that the um, you know, what we've seen is that companies themselves have become more interested in um, startups, more interested in uh, working earlier with the university, whether it be through collaborations, sponsored research, these overall agreements. You see venture um, investors also being uh, more involved in the earlier stages of re research, becoming more involved in perhaps these um, uh, proof of concept and accelerator funds or gap funds, other things that are helping the innovations along this journey and getting beyond the the valley of death, or like I like to call it the valley of innovation death. I call it the void, <laughs> the um, void. because it, you don't want things disappearing in that void. You want things, you know, like perhaps they need to die. Uh, you know, and they're, the 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 weakest should not be moving on. But you know, getting things beyond the void um, that shouldn't uh, shouldn't have to languish there. Well, thank you, Kirsten, so much for sharing your expertise and insights today. It's been an absolute pleasure to delve into the world of startup policies and learn from your wealth of experience. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.